I don't know about you, but I, I love to learn. I love to learn new things. And, and so right now, I'm learning a new language. Um, now, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not one of the romance languages that, you, uh, uh, that were popular, at least when I was in high school, like French or Spanish. Um, you know, it's not Mandarin like you, mo- you, you might think because more than a billion people in the world speak that. And uh, it's not even ancient Greek or, or biblical Hebrew, uh, which I studied back when I was in seminary. Right now, I'm learning to speak Hannah. I am desperately trying to learn the communications of our newborn child who just recently turned two months old. Now, shortly after Hannah's birth, one of our uh, church members actually directed me to a 2012 episode of Oprah. And Oprah's guest that day was uh, Australian former mezzo-soprano Priscilla Dunstan, and you may have heard of her. Uh, Perhaps you saw the episode. But she is the developer of a theory that's called the Dunstan Baby Language. Now, the gist is that there are five basic sounds that a baby makes, uh, which each communicate a basic need, a need for food, a need for sleep, and three other needs that I won't share with you right now. Uh, And I'm not sure if I'm proud or ashamed to admit that that I can replicate all five of the sounds that that Priscilla Dunstan talks about, and I'll spare you that. But I will tell you that I don't know that there's anything I've experienced yet that is much more humbling for this college-educated, with an advanced degree, adult, trying to understand the communications of a nine-week-old. And Amy and I are desperately trying. And the reason that we're trying so hard is because Hannah is trying to communicate with us, right? She's using the tools that she has at her disposal, which are limited. Now, communication is the subject of our passage this morning. Our passage comes from the Revised Common Lectionary. It's today's gospel selection right out of the Gospel of Luke. And we're really picking up right where Pam left off last week. And so uh, I invite you to open up the Bibles that you've brought with you or to follow along on the screens as we read from uh, Luke's 11th chapter, beginning at verse 1 and going through verse 13. Before I start reading, let's pray together. Father, now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Luke writes that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And after he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And then Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend 
And you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Yeah. Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I love that somebody laughed there, and I want you to remember that, because we're going to come back to that in a couple of minutes. This morning, I'd like us to spend some time exploring the practice, exploring the practice of prayer, a gift given to us, allowing us to communicate with God. How do you view prayer? How do you pray? Do you pray as though it matters? Or do you pray as though the outcome has already been decided? Because how we pray reveals what we believe about the true character of God. Hear hear that again. How we pray reveals what we truly believe about the character of God. So as you examine your prayer life, does does it reveal a God who is distant? A God that cannot really be concerned with the intimate details of your life? Does your prayer life reveal a God who's a reluctant giver or a God who is like a distracted and unengaged parent? Or does your prayer life reveal a God who is engaged, who is present, who is here with us and wishes to give lavishly? What does your prayer life reveal about who you believe God is? Which of those is the truth? Right? And, and maybe that's even more important than what we think. So let's start with our scripture this morning and, and, and begin to understand what our scripture has to say about prayer and who God is and how it is that we are to pray. And, and our story this morning begins simply. It's one of Jesus' disciples comes to him and says, teach me to pray. And Amy, would you, would you put those first few verses up there even so that we can see that? Beginning right there at verse 2. Jesus said to him, when you pray, begin, Father. 
stop there for a moment and grapple with what that communicates. To begin, Jesus teaches us to use the word to refer to a parent, to one charged with our care. You know, I think we gloss over that. A lot of the times our, um, we begin prayer, it, it's almost so that we can get to what's next, right? But Jesus says here, start by calling God Father. God desires that we address him as Father. Of all the addresses God could have chosen, the Most High, Almighty One, Holy God, Lord, God chooses this word, a word which describes a character of loving relationship. Father, a relationship of love, of provision, of care, wisdom, guidance. And perhaps that's not your experience of father. You know, as humans, we don't always get things right. We behave poorly. We fall short. And so perhaps your experience of what a father is has not been a good one. At the very least, I imagine it's not been perfect. Um, but perhaps that word comes with all kinds of baggage. I want you to hear this morning that that, that is the result of a fallen world not the result of a fallen word. Father does not fall short of describing a loving relationship. Our experiences fall short of what the word is intended to describe. And so Jesus tells us here that we are to address God as father. And then he continues Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive, excuse me, as we all uh, ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. Karl Barth, in his book entitled Simply Prayer, makes this fascinating observation that the Lord's Prayer, its structure, is incredibly similar to the way that the, the, the Ten Commandments are structured. When we read the Ten Commandments, the first four have to do with our relationship with God. And the last six have everything to do with how we relate with the world around us. In prayer, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, all has to do with our relationship with God and God's kingdom. God's will for our lives. And then it has to do with how we relate to the world around us. Give us our, our daily bread. Lord, forgive the things that we've done here. Save us from temptation. Demonstrating that our human lives are an intersection of the divine and the human. They're not separate and distinct. There, there is not spiritual and physical. The two 
are intertwined together. They're intertwined in Jesus' greatest commandment to love God and to love neighbor. Jesus teaches us that prayer, too, is an intersection of the divine and the human, of the spiritual and the physical, because in praying, we commune with the divine. We're to ask that God's name be glorified, that, that, that God's kingdom comes to earth, that the divine will be done. And then in the same breath, we ask for our basic physical needs. It's not one or the other, separate and apart. It's not about trying to, to reach up to some distant being, but rather asking God for what we need here and now. Food, forgiveness, deliverance. And then, after describing what words to use, Jesus does this uh, fascinating thing here. Did you catch it? I contend that somebody did. You know, so Jesus teaches in, in, in a couple of parables. Uh, he, he goes on to tell these two stories or to describe these two um, kind of fictional scenarios. And that's not uncommon. Jesus commonly teaches in parables, right? He uses these stories in order to teach a lesson. But what we often see in the Gospels after Jesus teaches in parable, we, we later see the disciples doing one of these, going like, what was that? Tell us what you meant by that. Or Jesus will step away and, and will say, here's what I was really trying to say. That doesn't happen here. And the reason it doesn't happen here is because these two parables were so plain. They were so punch you in the face, knock you over the head, obvious. He didn't need to do that. In fact, they would have elicited a laugh. So let's just review these first two scenarios because I think that the second is pretty obvious to us. But I'm not so sure that the first is. So in the first, Jesus describes this situation that occurs. He says, uh, pr pretend that, that you have uh, a friend and you go to him in the middle of the night because a guest has shown up at your house unexpected and you don't have anything to give them. Now, the cultural rules of the time, rules of hospitality, would have said that you needed to provide for a guest that shows up in the middle of the night because the hope was if you ever needed the same thing, it would be done unto you. It's a little bit lost on us because most of us, one, hope nobody knocks on our door in the middle of the night, and if they do, may not answer it. We may call the police and then post about it on next door, right? But... <laughs> with like a camera shot of it. Have you seen that? Anyway. Um, but but there's this different cultural context that we find this story happening in, right? And so I want to read for you at the end. In verse 8, he says, I, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's your friend, at least because of the persistence, he'll get up and give him whatever he needs. You know, what's key there is that you're, you're likely in a village, right? You're likely, you've got neighbors who are hearing the knock on the door. If you don't get up and answer, you know who the talk of the town is the next day? You, for not being the one to open up your door and answer. And the second story that Jesus tells here is, is this uh, of, of a parent 
being asked by a child for food and, and says, you know, who, if, if your kid will ask you for a fish, give him a snake or an egg, give him a, a scorpion, right? Of course not. And he, he begins both of these stories with a rhetorical phrase. He says, before the first one, suppose one of you has a friend. He's like, listen, imagine if this really happened. He does the same thing before he tells the next story. So, so I say to you, excuse me, he says, uh, he doesn't say that. He says this. He says, is there anyone among you who would do this? Is there anyone who would really, really do this? Jesus wants them to be so clear in understanding the character of God. Jesus wants it to be knock you over the head, punch you in the face. Obvious that this is a God that cares about your everyday needs. God wants to give you what you need. He wants us to ask boldly because God is good. So I ask you again, do you pray as if it matters? Do you pray as if it matters or do you pray as though the outcome has already been decided? You know, even as I prepared for this, I can see in my own prayer life where I am guilty of praying as though the outcome has already been decided, as though my prayer really doesn't matter that much. You know, you could say that in, in some ways I'm in the, um, in the field of professional prayer, right? So, but I find myself praying alongside people who are sick and saying, God, if it's your will that they be healed, let them be healed. That's not the kind of prayer God is calling us to. God says, pray for healing. Don't say, ask me if I want it, then you can have it. Pray boldly, as though it matters, because it does. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, says that Jesus taught us to pray for daily bread. Have you ever noticed that children ask for lunch in utter confidence that it will be provided? They have no need to stash away today's sandwiches for fear none will be available tomorrow. As far as children are concerned, there is an endless supply of sandwiches coming. But do you pray like it matters? Do you pray as though you know there's an endless supply of sandwiches? Or do you ask as though the cupboard is bare? As though God may not have it to give? In his book, Quietly Courageous, Gil Rendell goes as far as to call this kind of prayer, this behavior, functional atheism. He writes that, that while speaking of depending on God, the functional atheist actively depends on his or her own agency. Let me read that for you again. While speaking of depending on God, the functional atheist actively depends on his or her own agency. Now, let me be really clear about the distinction here. I'm not saying that we pray and do nothing, and that's not the point that Gil Rendell is making here either. He's saying, pray boldly. Pray as though it matters. Pray as though you worship a God that wants you to have good things. You know the difference. 
So what does your prayer life reveal about what you believe about the character of God? This afternoon, after we leave church, I'll go back to trying to learn a new language. And if I, who am broken, if I, who am fallible and human, if, if I am desperately trying to understand the needs of a crying child, how much more is our Heavenly Father desperately leaning in to hear what you need? As we move into this new ministry year, as we move into a new way of being church, can we be a congregation that prays as though the outcome depends on it? Can we be a congregation that acts boldly? Can we be a congregation that prays in such a way that we reveal the goodness of God in our prayer. Friends, pray because it matters. Pray because God is good. And pray because God listens and God responds. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we give you thanks for your goodness. Lord, help us to be a people, unafraid to ask for what we need. God, help us to be a people that reveals something about who you are by the way that we talk to you. Lord, we know that you are good. Lord, now as we close in worship, we ask that you would join our voices in unison. That you would lift them up in such a way that we would know you are present here. And all God's people said, amen.